What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode here on the T. Clark Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Clark, and today we are back for another round of Q&A. But before we get into that, as always, if you enjoy the episode, go ahead and take a screenshot of the episode, post it on your IG story, and let me know what your biggest takeaway was from this episode. Did your question get answered? Did you learn something new? What did you find valuable from this episode? I want to know so that way I know what you guys want to hear on the podcast going forward. And secondly, if you haven't already, definitely go check out the Athlete's Guide to Nutritional Periodization. Not going to go too, too deep into it on this episode because I know I've plugged it a million times, but there's a reason why I keep on plugging it. It's a great resource for you, especially if you're an athlete looking to achieve optimal athletic performance. So if you haven't already, definitely go check that out. All you got to do is enter in your name, your email, click that link down below, and it's all yours. But enough for the plugs. Now it's time to get into the questions that you guys asked. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right, so let's get into the questions for this week's Q&A. We got three questions that we're going to go for this week and answer. The first one is, if I'm reverse dieting, should my training change as well? That's a really good question, and honestly, it depends on the person. Assuming all things normal and assuming that you're not completely running to the ground, and maybe you just went through a cut, biofeedback's a little bit iffy, so you decided to reverse diet out of it, but nothing too crazy. In that case, you probably don't need to adjust training all that much. And again, as, as far as training like recommendations, I'm not going to say like a specific like increase volume by X amount because I'm not, I'm not a trainer. Um, I don't really do the training side of things, but I'll give you recommendations in terms of like how hard you should be going, maybe how often you should be going, just general, general stuff like that. But I typically tell my clients in terms of training because again, I focus more on the nutrition side, but they're really intertwined. So assuming all things normal, like I said, probably don't need to change it all that much. If you feel pretty good, you're increasing the calories and there's nothing particular standing in particular standing out like, Oh my gosh, I'm so run down. I feel like crap. You probably, you're probably fine. You can probably just keep training the same. Maybe what you'll find is that you can start doing more volume because you up the calories and you have more energy to push a little bit harder in the gym. That's the case. Awesome. And if you're able to recover from that, great. Now, if you're in a position, like let's say probably the most common case of this is with like CrossFitters is because they tend to just run themselves into the ground without realizing it, especially if they're not eating enough and you end up with something like HPA axis dysfunction where you just feel super run down and like training is rough and they're having trouble losing fat or gaining or perform, like increasing performance or really anything. In that case, you probably want to dial that training a bit um, just because, again, like you're in a place where you're super run down. The last thing you want to do is add more stress on top of that with intense training. And most of the time when you get yourself to a place like that, you've already been training pretty intensely for quite some time. So it's probably time to take, take your foot off the gas. Um, and from an adherence standpoint, in that case, like, yeah, if they're feeling that run down, I would hope they're ready to make a change. They're hope that I would hope they're ready to make an improvement there. So it shouldn't be that much of an issue getting them to dial it back with the training. Mentally it's tough. Cause like, especially for someone who's used to pushing themselves super hard type a driven, it can be tough to take the foot off the gas. But if you're in a position where you're just that run down, sometimes it's necessary to take your foot off the gas a little bit and increase the calories and kind of going back to the general population. Um, just like in general, like assuming all things normal, 
one really big thing I take into consideration when making these sort of recommendations is adherence. So for a lot of people, it's already hard enough as it is to increase, to increase calories, especially when they're trying to lose fat, when they're trying to get leaner and you're telling them, okay, we got to increase calories and you might gain a little bit of weight throughout this process. We don't know. You're probably just going to maintain. That's really hard for someone whose end goal is to lose fat, especially if they have no prior experience with nutrition. They're probably just like, what the hell? Why are we doing this? And already from an adherence standpoint, that's a little bit tough. Now add on to that, telling them they can't work out or they have to dial back their workouts. They're going to freak out. They're going to be constantly stressed out all the time thinking they're going to gain some weight. And who knows? They might a little bit. That's part of the process sometimes. But the last thing you want is to add that extra level of stress. So if someone's in a position where they're fine and training and keeping their training intensity as it is, isn't going to like drastically harm their progress in any way, then yeah, I'll keep it as I'll just tell them, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. We're just going to increase the calories. That's what I do for the majority of people. Cause yeah, when you're in a place where you want to lose fat, you want to get lean, but your coach is telling you, Oh, you know, what? we're going to have to increase calories week by week for probably the next couple months. Like that's fucking scary for some people. And you got to acknowledge that as a coach and look at it from an adherence standpoint. And if you're coaching yourself, if you're taking yourself through a reverse, through a reverse diet, like, yeah, you're probably fine. Just maintain training as long as you feel pretty decent and there's nothing, there's no like red flags or anything. You're, you're good. Um, just keep increasing the calories and that should be enough to supplement recovery from your training. And again, if you're feeling really, really run down, then yeah, you probably want to take your foot off the gas, dial it back a little bit as you up the calories and really focus on recovery. But that's, that's a pretty extreme case um, of like either yo-yo dieters or really like extreme athletes that push themselves to like their limit and just aren't feeling properly. Then you can end up with something like HPA axis, HPA axis dysfunction or something like that. And you really got to just focus on recovery for the time being. Because really, if you don't focus on recovery, you're not going to be able to perform. Um, you're just going to keep running yourself into that ground. So hopefully that answered that question. Uh, and then the next question we have is what's the deal with those blue light blockers you always recommend? All right, look, so the blue light blockers do exactly that. They block blue light. Now, why is blocking the blue light important at nighttime? Blue light suppresses melatonin production. So there's sensors in your eyes. I believe it's called, uh, the sensor is called melanopsin. It senses light. And when it senses light, the production of melatonin gets downregulated, gets suppressed. And melatonin is the hormone that is in charge of sleep-wake cycles. So it, makes, it helps make you tired at night and fall asleep. And so oftentimes you'll see people supplementing with melatonin. Now, I'm not going to get into that on this episode, but it's probably not the best idea. Um, the reason why they supplement with it is because they're not producing enough on their own and they need it to go to sleep. Ideally, you want to get melatonin production up naturally. And one of the best ways to do that is to avoid your avoid exposure to that blue light at night. And so blue light comes from, well, the primary source is the sun, and that's like where it's beneficial. We want blue light earlier in the day because that wakes us up. So it comes from the sun, comes you, and then there's also blue light, like your TV monitor, your, your computer monitor, your iPhone, your laptop, all that stuff. 
your light, like your fluorescent lights in your house or um, whatever kind of lights they are, unless they're red lights, they probably have blue light in them. Um, it comes from all those places. So at nighttime, people tend to be like just sitting there like scrolling through Instagram or watching TV, watching a movie, and you're getting like blasted with blue light straight to the face, straight to your eyes. And no doubt that's going to suppress melatonin production and make it a hell of a lot more difficult for you to fall asleep. So you have a couple solutions to this. One, turn off all your lights or get some red lights or get some like Himalayan salt lamps or something and stay off of all technology, like no movies, no TV, no nothing for like two or three hours before bed. Is that ideal? Probably but like 99% of people, including myself, are not doing that. Like, I'm sorry, but I kind of want to be on my phone. Um, I mean, I kind of run my business from my phone and too, and like scrolling through Instagram, Twitter, whatever, watching YouTube videos, whatever, or like Netflix or something to wind down at night. Um, and I'm not going to just not use it. I will say that like within that last, like maybe half hour, maybe even 15 minutes before bed, you probably want to get off your phone just because of the stimulation. Um, but from a blue light perspective, something you could do is just get blue light blocking glasses and they do exactly what they say they do. They block out blue light and by blocking out the blue light, you're going to be able to support melatonin production and you're going to be able to fall asleep a lot quicker and a lot easier. These are a game changer. Like I notice when I wear them versus when I don't, you can definitely tell the difference. Like when I'm wearing my blue light blockers, I can watch TV, I can be on my phone, I can, the lights can be on in the house, and I'll still fall asleep within that 15 to 20 minutes, which is that ideal range to fall asleep. And they work wonders, so they block out that blue light. What I will say with the blue light blocking glasses, as with pretty much anything, you get what you pay for. There are some on Amazon that are like 15, 20 bucks, and I'm not sure how well they work. I've heard there's definitely mixed reviews. The, one, the ones I got were like 60. Again, not the cheapest, but also it's not a crazy expensive investment. You just got to pay that, that one time and you're set. Sounds like I'm like sponsored by the Blue Light Blocking Glasses Company, but I'm not. It's just a really good product and it works really well for me. Um, and I know a bunch of other people who use them that say the same thing. And the science is out there to support it. Like the blue light, the blue light suppresses melatonin. So if you can block that blue light, you're going to be in, in good shape to fall asleep. So if you make that investment, like 60 bucks, it'll vastly improve your sleep quality, which sleep quality is like one of the most important things you could focus on. So hopefully that answers that question. The main purpose of the blue light blockers is, yeah, just to block out that blue light to support melatonin production in the evening so it's easier to fall asleep. The last question for today's q and I'm going to keep this one relatively short and sweet. It, I always go off track on the weekends. How can I stay on track and avoid falling off the wagon? The reality is, it's a lot simpler, a lot more simple, uh, simpler, more simple, I don't know, honestly, um, than people think. It doesn't have to be that complicated. People look at the weekend in like fear and are super stressed out about it. Reality is you don't have to be. All you got to do is just go in with the plan, go in with the game plan. A lot of people, the thing that throws a lot of people off with the weekend is that it's not their normal routine. Monday through Friday, you have a set routine, usually results in set meal times throughout the day, set like what you eat at each meal is relatively similar, probably. And the weekend comes around 
and it's a fucking free-for-all because you don't have work, so you're sleeping in, you're missing breakfast. Maybe you got you go out to get lunch because you're too lazy to, to cook something, and then dinner comes around, and you go out to a restaurant with your family or your girlfriend or your friends or whatever, and you just fucking go crazy. And then you end up feeling like crap on Sunday, and you're like, ah, oh, man, like, like might as well just enjoy myself today or whatever. For whatever reason, people go crazy on Saturday and then wake up Sunday and then use that as a, as a reason to rationalize going crazy on Sunday too. And then you wake up Monday, you're like, ah, oh, shit, what happened? The number one thing you could do to prevent that is just have a plan. The best thing I could recommend that you do is try to stick to your normal meal schedule as much as you possibly can. Of course, if you sleep in a little bit and you miss your normal breakfast time, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. But for the most part, keep your other meals relatively the same. If you keep that meal schedule, you're going to be less inclined to eat these random snacks throughout the day or stuff like that. So that'd be, that would be tip number one. Tip number two, if you go out to eat, again, actually, it's kind of the same, same kind of tip. Have a plan when you go out to eat. Don't just go to the restaurant and make a decision about what you're going to eat on the fly. Because we all know, like when all eyes are on you, the way the waiter is like waiting for you to say your order, you don't know what you want yet. It's fucking high pressure, man. Like I don't like being in that situation, especially if I like. Let's say I was trying to lose lose fat and like I was trying to wonder like what to get. I don't want to be rushed. Just have a plan. Most like most restaurants have their menu online. Nah, like it's 2019. Most places have their menu online. And if you get lucky, they'll have their macros and calories and stuff like that on the menu. Or they'll have a separate like PDF for like nutrition facts. So you can technically fit that restaurant meal into your macros. Now, how accurate that is, it's debatable. And it's probably not the most accurate, but at least you're getting in the ballpark range. And you're not going to go too far over your calories. So again, just look at the menu ahead of time. Make a decision about what you're going to eat before you even get to the restaurant. Now, if you, of course, there might be like a mom and pop place that you go that their their menu isn't online, whatever. Awesome. Cool. Every now and then, that's fine. Um, but if you go there often enough, you probably want to get an idea of what you'd want to order. So in that way, and when I say get an idea of what you want to order, I, it really depends. Like, like, uh, let's see, where else I going with that? Like when I say like get an idea of what you want to order it doesn't have to necessarily be like the quote unquote healthiest thing all the time. Now, most of the time, should you probably look for a relatively like quote unquote healthy option? Like maybe like a, a meal that has like some chicken, some rice and some veggies or something like that, like pasta, some chicken and some veggies, something like that. Probably. But let's say you're going to a restaurant where they have your, your favorite meal and it's like, it's a pizza place and it's just this awesome pizza. That's so good. Still have a plan about what you want to get going into that going into that meal at that restaurant, so that way you can plan accordingly for the rest of your day. And that leads me into the final tip that I'm going to give on this episode, this Q and A, is plan the rest of your day out too. If you know you're going to eat a lot, especially if you can't necessarily count how many calories there are in that in that meal at that restaurant, if you know you're just going to eat a lot of food, whether it's a big meal, a big dessert that night compensate earlier in the day if you if you stay on the light side when it comes to the calories earlier in the day stick with mainly protein and veggies with your meals then by the time that meal comes around in the evening where you're going to eat and go to town you have a lot of room 
in terms of calories. You've created a really nice cushion for yourself to, um, to enjoy yourself at dinner without going overboard. Or if you do go a little overboard, not as far overboard as if you would have had normal size meals earlier in the day. And then you go into dinner with like maybe 800 calories left and dinner turns out to be 2000 calories and then RIP. Instead, maybe you keep, maybe, maybe you intermittent fast. Maybe you skip breakfast. You have a really light lunch, maybe a little snack in the afternoon. So you don't go into dinner starving, which is also not advisable. You probably don't want to go into your meal starving. Um, going with a nice balance, not feeling a little hungry, but not don't go, don't fast until that big meal. That's the worst thing you can do because then you're just going to overindulge. Um, but let's say you keep it on the light side. You skip breakfast. You eat a pretty good lunch, some proteins and veggies, maybe a little bit of fruit. You have a, a nice little snack in the afternoon so you don't go into the meal starving. And then dinner comes around. You have Now you have like 2,500 calories to play with. It's almost a guarantee that you're not going to go over. Like you got to try to get more than 2,000 calories in, into a meal. And let's say you do. Let's say you just really go ham. You're probably not, if, even if you go into a calorie surplus, you're not going to be in that much of a calorie surplus, and so you're going to really mitigate any sort of fat gain um, that you would see otherwise, or any sort of weight gain. If it's really fat in one night, not going to happen. Unless you go way crazy, like there's these YouTubers and people that do like fucking 10,000 calorie challenges or 20,000 calorie challenges. It's fucking stupid. But that's beside the point. But hopefully that answered your question. As far as weekends, just don't overthink it. The common trend there is have a plan. If you have a plan for the weekend and you can relatively stick to it, you're going to be in a good place. So with that, that brings us to the end of this week's Q&A. Thank you guys so much for submitting your questions. If you have questions that you want answered on the next Q&A, shoot me a DM on Instagram. Just let me know what questions you have. I'm going to answer them on the Q&A next week. And I'll also get back to you with a DM response individually so that way i can make sure i personally answer your question you get everything you wanted to know out of that question so again thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed this episode if you found it helpful go ahead and share it with one person who you think could benefit from this type of content and with that being said thank you guys so much for listening and i will catch you guys tomorrow